Moving a guy as big as Kiever wasn't easy. It was like trying to wrestle a king-sized mattress off a waterbed. So they buried him close to the house. Which made sense, anyway. The harvest was still a month away, and a disturbance in a field would show up from the air. And they would use the air, for a guy like Kiever. They would use search planes and helicopters, and maybe even drones. They started at midnight, which they thought was safe enough. They were in the middle of ten thousand acres of nothingness, and the only man-made structure their side of any horizon was the railroad track to the east. But midnight was five hours after the evening train and seven hours before the morning train. Therefore, no prying eyes. Their backhoe had four spotlights on a bar above the cab, the same way kids pimped their pickup trucks, and together the four beams made a wide pool of halogen brightness. Therefore, visibility was not a problem either. They started the hole in the hog pen, which was a permanent disturbance all by itself. Each hog weighed two hundred pounds, and each hog had four feet. The dirt was always chewed up. Nothing to see from the air, not even with a thermal camera. The picture would white out instantly from the steaming animals themselves and their steaming piles and pools of waste. Safe enough. Hogs were rooting animals, so they made sure the hole was deep, which was not a problem either. Their backhoe's arm was long, and it bit rhythmically in fluent, articulated seven-foot scoops, the hydraulic rams glinting in the electric light, the engine straining and roaring and pausing, the cab falling and rising as each bucket load was dumped aside. When the hole was done, they backed the machine up and turned it around, and used the front bucket to push Kiever into his grave, scraping him, rolling him, covering his body with dirt until finally it fell over the lip and thumped down into the electric shadows. Only one thing went wrong, and it happened right then. The evening train came through five hours late. The next morning they heard on the AM station that a broken locomotive had caused a jam a hundred miles south, but they didn't know that at the time. All they heard was the mournful whistle at the distant crossing, and then all they could do was turn and stare at the long-lit cars rumbling past in the middle distance, one after the other, like a vision in a dream, seemingly forever. But eventually the train was gone, and the rails sang for a minute more, and then the taillight was swallowed by the midnight darkness, and they turned back to their task. Twenty miles north, the train slowed, and slowed, and then eased to a hissing stop, and the doors sucked open, and Jack Reacher stepped down to a concrete ramp in front of a grain elevator as big as an apartment house. To his left were four more elevators, all of them bigger than the first, and to his right was an enormous metal shed the size of an airplane hangar. There were vapor lights on poles, 
set at regular intervals, and they cut cones of yellow in the darkness. There was mist in the nighttime air, like a note on a calendar. The end of summer was coming. Fall was on its way. Reacher stood still, and behind him the train moved away without him, straining, grinding, settling to a slow rat-a-tat rhythm, and then accelerating, its building slipstream pulling at his clothes. He was the only passenger who had gotten out, which was not surprising. The place was no kind of a commuter hub. It was all agricultural. What token passenger facilities it had were wedged between the last elevator and the huge shed, and were limited to a compact building which seemed to have both a ticket window and benches for waiting. 